Welcome to Round Rock Sunday Sermons. This week, Pastor David Johnson walks us through the book of James and reminds us why it is important to become part of the vine with Jesus. You may be seated. So there's this show in the 1950s and 60s called This Is Your Life. Did anybody watch that show? They would ambush a celebrity and say, hey, you're going to be on this show. This is your life. Then they'd cut back to the studio and they'd have a conversation with that celebrity. And then during the conversation, they would hear this voice from above, somebody from their past, and they would try to guess who it was, like their middle school gym teacher. They'd bring them out, they'd have a little conversation. There was something about that show that I think those who watched it when it first came out would like, what would my TV show be like? What voices would talk to me, reflect on my life? Because there's something in all of us where we want a life of importance, a life of meaning. Joseph Slavik, a rabbi, wrote on this topic in about 1965. He said there's two parts of us. We have Adam 1 and Adam 2. Adam 1 is our worldly side, our ambitious side. He wants to build, create. He's an image-conscious person. He's the person you go up to. How's it going? I'm busy. I'm doing so much to create in this world. He gets it from Genesis 1, where it says that we are created in God's image and then given the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Subdue nature, create and do good things. Adam 2 is our humble side. He wants to do good, but also be good. Live a life that honors God. This comes from Genesis 2, where Adam is the keeper of the garden who tills it and preserves it. Then God takes a piece of his body and creates his partner, Eve. Companionship. Solovic argued that these two sides of ourselves are at war with each other. David Brooks, a New York Times columnist, kind of modernized it and says, we have two sides, our resume virtues and our eulogy virtues. Our resume virtues are the ones that you put on your resume. Look at all the wonderful things I have accomplished, the awards I've received, the education that I've got, the things that you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the things that are said at our eulogy. We live in a world where we really want to build up that best resume, I want a really good resume. Adam 1 is this career-oriented business side of ourselves, the resume virtue. Adam 2 is that eulogy virtue of ourselves. Adam 1 wants to conquer the world. Adam 2 wants to serve the world. John Mark Comer, a pastor that I follow, was reflecting on this, and he talked about a funeral that he went to. It was of a famed pastor. His family was really close to him. And then he said, he never names it, but he said, if, if I told you the name, everybody in the room would know who it was. After the big public funeral, there was a small little memorial service, 80, 90 people at the service, and it was over two hours long. But during that two-hour-long service, there was not one mention of his accolades, his best-selling books, the arenas that were filled to hear him preach. Grandkids told stories about family trips, and how the grandpa made him feel. Fun stories about grandpa. It was stories about him serving. 
These stories about relationships and his character. And at the end of the day, nobody cared that he was an internationally known pastor. It was his closest relationships and the person he became and the person he shaped his life around that were talked about. And John Mark was taken back by this, kind of reflecting on really what's important in life. It's who we are becoming, how we're shaping our souls that we take into the future that really matter. Are we focusing on our resume virtues or our eulogy virtues in our life? And I think this is what James is getting at in this scripture today. Chuck Swindoll said, the book of James looks a bit like an Old Testament book of Proverbs dressed up in New Testament clothes. The pages of James, as we've seen, are filled with these commands, these ways to live a life of holiness. In chapter 4 that we just heard, there's an interesting shift, and I just noticed it this week. Verse 13 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, well, we will go to, the, to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, how many of you like to plan out your trips? Every little detail of where you're going. How many of you go on trips and just wing it? Brad, okay, more than, more than just Brad, good. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. They wanted to go to a certain location, build a business, make some money. Those are good and noble things to do. But I think James is addressing the attitude which they're doing it with. I think they're leading with their resume virtue more than anything. And then there's a shift in verse 15 where it says, instead, giving a moment for us to pause to really think about the scripture. You ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. Instead of focusing on conquering the world, it's leaning into what God has for us, the possibilities, spending time abiding with God and letting God shape who we are. We've launched into the vine, and Brad's talked about it several times. It's a reflection on the scripture. He has his Bible studies on Wednesday and Thursday that give us just a touch of what the service on Sunday will be like and the reflection of the vine later on. And our hope is, as a church, everyone will be reading it, sitting down, having a time to pause to reflect over that scripture in individuals or as a group. You can do it before choir practice or when you read the vine when you're in line. I'm going to try to see if that joke works this time, Brad. It didn't. The background of the vine comes from John 15. Abide in me as I in you, as the branches cannot bear its fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I love this verse. Because when you spend time with Jesus, when you abide with him, you let him wash over you. Let, you, let him shape your character to be more like him, be more like Jesus. But this doesn't mean that we have to go off to seminary, we have to go off to a far off place to do it. Ron Rollheiser is a Catholic priest, and he tells the story of this monk. I just want to be more like Jesus. So we thought he had to go out into the wilderness 
to pray, to reflect, to be by himself, get away from the rest of the world. And he does this for three months. He finally comes back home to visit his mom. His mom is still raising some of his siblings. And as he sees his mom working, living, being a mom, he's taken back because he says, my mom's more like Jesus than I am. The mom didn't have to go out into the wilderness, but in the day-to-day job of raising kids, of putting others before herself, of loving others, she became more like Christ than this professional Christian, than this monk. She shaped a life that reflected the love of Christ. She was a person who lived a life of love. It's not running away from the world that helps us shape to be more like Christ, but being fully present in the world, warts and all. Michael Wilkinson, he's a New Testament professor, and he said, love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which one gives oneself to another to bring the relationship to God's intended purpose. An unconditional commitment to an unperfect person like all of us here. To love God is to give ourselves over to him to shape us, to transform us each and every day. To love our neighbor is to help them give themselves to God to be shaped by his love as well. I mean, we all have people in our lives that we go, wow, I want to be like that person. Those people who are farther along in that journey of faith, whether by age and experience or just by their dedication to be born more like Jesus. We all have people in life that's like, I want to be like that. Those people who are ahead of us in that Christian formation. The life that exude the love of Christ and other people. Our church recently lost two wonderful people who lived a life of love of Christ. Lee Holt and Butch Cannon. Lee's service is tomorrow, so I'll get to hear more of his story. But I know he was a proud member of our choir and Stephen ministry. He loved God and this church. And he shared that love through his voice, by being in the choir, and by listening and sitting with people in his Stephen ministry. Yesterday, we celebrated the life of Butch Cannon. And during the service, Brad had everybody stand up who was impacted by Butch, who was a member of the church because of him. This place was packed out, and about half of the sanctuary stood up. Every Sunday, unless he was sick or out of town, he was here to greet people. He was probably the first people most folks who were new to the church encountered with a hug or a handshake. Butch was the ultimate greeter. And it was joked during the service that when he got up to heaven, he told Peter at the pearly gates, I got this, you can take a break. One member of our church came into the office for some other business, but he had his Butch story. He said a couple years ago, he was having a really rough week. And Butch saw him and said, isn't this a great day? He wasn't having a great day. But Butch brought him in for a famous hug. And you know what? He said, I started having a good day after that. What a beautiful example of love. 
But you know what's great about Butch and Lee? They lived a life that we all can live. We may not have the voice of Lee or the personality of Butch, but we can be people of love. And becoming people of love doesn't really happen overnight. It takes time. It takes years. It takes intentional efforts of moving forward each and every day. So how do we do this? I have four maybe examples of how you can do it. The first is hang around people who exemplify Christ's love. This is why, one of the reasons why we come to church on Sunday. Iron sharpens iron. When you hang out with people, you start becoming more like them. You start seeing the world like they do. You start saying the language they say. This is why I love coming to church on Sunday. It says, I get to hang out with you all people and it helps me become a more loving person. The second is to read scripture, to abide in the vine. That's why we're putting out the vine. We hope you sit and read and reflect over that scripture so it can shape you and hone you and change your souls into becoming more loving people. The third is prayer. We live in such a busy, hectic world sometimes. We don't ever get to pause and stop, to have a conversation with the creator of the heavens and the earth. On our website, if you go fumc-rr and put in examine, we have a little web page that has the examine prayer there. An examine prayer is just a way to sit and reflect. It's an Ignatius prayer. We're coming up on the Lenten season, and it may be a practice you want to put in just to sit and reflect on your prayer life. And the fourth is serve. Butch and Lee served this church so faithfully. They were such great examples of love and kindness, of people who, hey, I want to be like that when I'm older. And they did it through serving this church so well. So I have a challenge for us. In honor of these great people who loved us and loved this church so well, find a way that you can serve in this church. Whether it be serving communion to folks, being an usher, being a greeter, being that first person who hugs a new person that, who comes into the life of this church, serve in a student ministry or a children's ministry. Maybe during the Lenten season, you find a way that you can plug yourself into this church to serve. See the difference it makes in your life, how it shapes and forms you to be a more loving person. We so desperately need it because of Elmo. I promise it's going to make sense. So Elmo, you know, the character from Sesame Street, he got on Twitter. I don't know who gave a, a puppet access to Twitter, but he got onto Twitter this week, and he posted, just checking in, how is everyone doing? And it was inundated with responses, thousands upon thousands of responses of people hurting. So much so that the Sesame Street Twitter posted resources to mental health help. A world is hurting. What difference would it make if we led the world in Christ-like love? If we gave that butch-like hug to the world that so desperately needs it right now? And we don't become like that without abiding with Christ. Ron Niebuhr summed it up this way. Nothing in this world 
is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do virtuous can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. No virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as from our own standpoint. Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. In a moment, we get to participate in the mightiest act of love that Jesus gave us. It was his death on his cross. I'm going to invite Brad and Pat up here as we're about to have communion. And part of the liturgy of communion is at the end, we say, hey, may we become the body and blood of Christ. May we become that grace and love that the world so desperately needs. Thank you for listening to this week's Round Rock Sunday Sermons, brought to you by First United Methodist Church of Round Rock. If you're interested in making a donation, just text First Hope to 44321. If you're interested in getting your copy of The Vine, just text the word VINE to 833-229-9962.